put myself up up here. I'm doing things a little differently than I usually do. First Peter chapter one is where we will be this evening. I appreciate so much you being in the midweek service. It's a privilege to be in the house of God. I'll say that again. It is a privilege to be in the house of God. It's our privilege, and uh, that's uh, Amen means I agree with that, and uh, it is. We would terribly miss it if we couldn't be in the Lord's house. And uh, it's just an opportunity that's tremendous. And I'm grateful for it. I really am. First uh, Peter chapter 1 is the first place where we will be going this evening. I told my wife the title of what I'd be preaching on tonight. I didn't go into it. I'm kind of odd in this with my preaching. If I talk to somebody about the full outline or the full truth that I'm going to preach before I preach it, it's like pulling a spark plug wire off an engine. It just makes me go completely flat for, for that message. And I don't know why. It's always been that way. I discovered that when I was a teenage preacher, and so I don't do that. I can talk about it afterwards, but beforehand, I can't. if I get into expounding too much of it, it's, I don't know what it does. I, I, I don't understand any of that, but... I know it's there, and so that's enough. Um, I, don't, I don't know how electricity works, but I can turn my lights on too, so I just, I'm happy just to know it's there. But I told her the title, and uh, the title I give you this evening is this. I'm speaking, the, the subject tonight is Of Birth and Marriage. And uh, she said to me, she said, isn't that out of order? <laughs> and I said it would seem so, but... Uh, but uh, it isn't, and uh, I want to speak to you on that, of birth and marriage. And, uh, and she started asking me questions, and I told her she has to listen to the podcast and be, be a good church member, and since she's not there. But, um, but the thing is that uh, these, uh, I'm going to show you in the Scripture, uh, two different passages will be in. And both of them deal with the same item, and that item is the fact that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we belong to Him. It shows different aspects of that relationship. The birth does and the marriage does. And both of them are cause for any, uh, any believer to rejoice in the Lord. Any believer of any age, uh, any age chronologically, whether it's one of you young folks here or one of us people that are past middle age unless we're going to live a very, very long time. Um, it's if you're young in the Lord, if you're if you're experienced in following the Lord, it's it's enough to make you appreciate what we have in God and what we have in our salvation. Uh, we never want to uh, deal lightly with that in our own minds, because you know every everything else everything else that we have in life is dependent on that relationship with the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing to be accepted by God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of His resurrection. And two ways in the Bible in which He shows that relationship between us and God is He talks about birth with it. He also talks about marriage with it. And I know uh, that seems backwards, but I felt it was uh, best for showing you what I believe the Lord put on my heart to go about it this way this evening. This is not a subject that kind of has a prescribed way of doing things. In other words, a verse I've been meditating on here for a couple of days and such, uh, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, and so on. That's a definite progression. 
that's given out as such. And, uh, but this isn't, and, and I want us to take time. Probably, each of you in here that are saved, you've probably heard more preaching, and uh, you've probably thought more, or, or maybe even thought more in the Scripture about the birth of, of being saved, the new birth as the Bible calls it, being born again as Jesus said. You've probably thought about that more than the fact of us uh, actually being the bride of Christ and the fact that it's a marriage. And uh, so I want to help you tonight with both of these. Would you pray together with me? And while we're praying, would you ask the Lord to show you what He wants for you to have this evening? Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, I want to, I want to speak exactly what you want tonight. And uh, in order to do that, I've got to stay right close to your Word because just right on it. Because that's what you once said. And Lord, help me to do that uh, with uh, clarity and with the power of your Spirit. And Lord, we ask you that you make this a fruitful time for your people. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1 is a couple verses I want to show you there. Look, if you will, in verse 22. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. That's worth noting by itself. I'll just let it sink in there. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. That word feigned means fake. Unfeigned love is love that is not counterfeit or is not put on. It's real. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again. In other words, this is what... These things that just said are not a process that causes you to be born again. This is what you do because you're, you're born again. You're to do this being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Let me say to you, in this matter of birth, we do not grow into salvation. It's not a, it's not a transitional thing where uh, we are partially saved, partially lost, more saved than lost, and finally completely saved. There's a definitive point in time in which we are born into the family of God. My birth date is September 14, 1964. And uh, that's the day when I was born. That's uh, my, the birth of, of this body, this uh, me and my body. Uh, uh, the natural birth, as it were, it was on that date. I happen to know the date when I got saved. Not everybody does that is saved. And that is not in any way an indicator whether or not you're saved. Um, but it was just... The circumstances were such that the date was in my mind and there were some other things that corresponded with that date that made it easy to, for that to stay in my mind at an early age. And uh, because I started preaching also, soon after I got saved, it was something, my testimony, something I'd mentioned, and so it's, it became fixed in my mind. But it was July 26 of 1980, I was born again. I was lost on July 25th of 1980. I was a self-willed, morally clean um, young man who had work character, had integrity, and I was lost. 
I was on my way to hell. Without the life of Christ, with the full guilt not only of the actions of my sin, but even even more condemning, a heart of unbelief that did not turn to the Lord. I was still trusting in my own moral virtue. I was still trusting in the fact that my behavior, I knew my behavior was cleaner than many, many of the people that I went to high school with in public high school that claimed the name of Christ and some who even tried to get me to visit their churches. And I was on, I was on varsity sports teams with them. I went and asked my mom, called my mom, because I was, of course, younger than everybody my age, my, in my, uh, my, my uh, school grade because of the way my birthday fell. Um, I didn't have my license yet. I had my mom come get me because I went to a get-together and found out that the person's parents weren't there and it, it was going to, they brought out the pot and I don't care why you're smoking it, it's still wrong. And they brought out the pot and they brought out the drugs and, and, and all that stuff and I said, you got a, you got a phone here? Shot kids. There's no such thing as a cell phone back then, right? The uh, and uh, and called. Mom, I need you to come get me. And uh, I got out of there. He said, "Why didn't you walk home? You don't know the county I grew up in. I don't mind walking, but I was about 18 miles from home. It was the nearest neighbor. Um, but no, it actually wasn't. But it seemed like it sometimes. And uh, all that stuff. But I wasn't. I had not turned to the Lord. Realizing he was the only way of salvation. Now, on July 26, there was a good thing that happened. As a culmination of God's merciful kindness in his patience, where I'd been presented the gospel by that time more than once. You think about that. That I would have even got to hear one clear presentation of the gospel is absolutely a testimony of God's mercy and goodness. But yet, I'd heard it more than once then after that initial time. And and God was dealing with conviction in my heart. Thank God for a Bible-believing young preacher. Never had the benefit of Bible college, but he had the benefit of the Bible. He'd never been trained in seminary, but he had been trained and schooled by the Spirit of God. And he preached Christ crucified and risen again and preached it strong. It was a good day. Northside Chapel, First Church of God, when I was a 15-year-old boy, got saved. July 25th, I was on my way to the devil's hell. Lost, without hope, and without God in this world. July 26th, when the sun set on that day, by the grace of God, not even fully understanding what had happened. In other words, I didn't understand the depth of it. Didn't understand all that was mine. Didn't understand. I knew something had happened, and it wasn't just an emotional experience that Christ had come. You couldn't dissuade me from that. And I had a few people try to. Oh, you got religion. And I knew, even before I could explain, Brother Brett, before I could explain biblically why it wasn't just getting religion, I knew somebody, knew something had happened inside my because I'd been born again by the Spirit of God. What a great day that was. And I won't give details of my experience because experience isn't the issue. Jesus is the issue. And your experience may be a lot different than mine. Your emotion may be a lot different than mine. Your setting may be a lot different than mine. And that does not matter. The issue is, where is your faith placed? Mine that day became placed in Christ. And whatever basic way I saw, I realized it was Jesus and not my goodness when I simply trust Him. What a wonderful thing that is. And so, being born again is a definite date of birth. And so uh, this happens. It's not a progressive thing. It's not something you work into. 
was preaching. At, I used to preach at the meetings down in Eastern Kentucky, and most time they were up on the hill there on Cemetery Hill. If you've you've been there, when we when we laid my mother's body to rest there in the cemetery up on the hill, and uh, some of you saw, and we of course had a Bible study. It was on a Wednesday evening when we were up there. And we had a Bible study there. Now the, the, the wooden benches are all rotted and stuff now, but where we used to have the big open-air meetings there and a lot of that little community would come up to them. And uh, I remember I was preaching in that one year and they called August Meeting. And we had to, go to, had to go down to what they called Wardy's Church. You have to kind of know the area. They went down to the meeting house of the church building and because uh, of inclement weather. And uh, we were down there and... Uh, there was a lady I'd preached. She was under conviction, and, and she didn't move. When I was preaching, and then uh, the moderator, Brother Dunn, got up, and he said a few words, and she came forward. And I was standing back, and I heard as they talked to her. And literally, I know, Brother Tim, when we were in college, we heard illustration about this, but it literally was what was happening. Some of them that were around her were telling her, her to hang on, and others were telling her to let go and trying to get her to pray through. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Say, did you go down there straighten out? No, you don't. You, <laughs> you don't. No, you, I waited. All right, and uh, she got done, and, and brother done, and he's a fellow I liked, and I watched him grow and grow in his Bible knowledge. He started really studying over the years, but he uh, uh, he got up and he said, "Folks, I think she's almost saved. She's not quite all the way saved." He didn't mean almost as in she's under conviction and she's getting to a point of understanding. He said she's not quite all the way there. Uh, you're either saved or you're lost. And I understand sometimes God graciously gives us a, a time where He's dealing with us in that. But there's a point where we're born again. And uh, this lady, she was confused and she came back and they were finishing out the service and I stepped over to where she was. I said, ma'am, I said, I said, you were listening when I preached. Did you understand what I was saying to you? And she said, I did. And she goes, that was very confusing down there. I said, it was. It was confusing watching it. I said, uh, I said, do you want to know how to be saved? She goes, I really do. And we sat down at the bench there at the pew, about three-quarters of the way back in Wardy's church, as they call it, opened the Bible. We showed her a couple of simple verses. The Spirit of God was already dealing with it. Any child in this room that knows how to tell somebody that Jesus died for him and rose again could have led this lady to Christ. And she accepted the Lord right there. She was so happy that she was born again, you see. And so, this is birth. We're born again. It's a definite thing. It's not a maybe. It's, it's definite. And even if you don't know the day or the date, which my wife always wishes she had known that, and she got saved when she was in the Nazarene church and there wasn't an emphasis put on any of that sort of thing. I think probably with your experience around the Nazarene church was that way too. Sometimes the gospel was clearly presented, but there was no emphasis for follow-up or this is a great day. And certainly she wasn't taught about baptism. When I first started dating her, I, uh, she, first thing, I, first question she asked me was if I was saved. And then as we talked and I started talking to her, I wanted to make sure that she was saved. She wasn't just a church girl that came up in church and, and lived clean and she had a testimony in her high school living clean and being clean and she was and, 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 and I wanted to make sure she wasn't trusting all that and so we talked about it 
And, and, and I still remember right where we were as teenagers. And, and uh, she says that's when she got the assurance of her salvation. But what happened at that time? She said, yes, I know. And she could tell me when, where and she could tell me what was going on. She could tell me about her coming to an understanding. She needed Christ. And when she put her faith in Him, she had all that, but she never remembered the date. And uh, that's why when she has the privilege to lead somebody to Christ, she always writes it down for him and puts it somewhere as a remembrance. Can I say to you, if you never knew the date, if that never was a part of things for you, God does. And the issue is that there's some time, and when I'm talking to people, I think somebody I talked to last week, the issue is uh, not what do you think now or whatever. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the issue. Not did you say the right words. We had a dear sister uh, came here for many years. And many of you know, you dealt with her. She was always struggling. And she'd say, I don't know for sure if I'm saved or not. And I finally I said, I can't tell you that. I'd give her the Scripture. But I said, every time you talk to me, the issue is always you're concerned about you. Did you say the right words? Did you pray? And I think she was serious about that. Did I pray the right words? Did I say the right words? Did I believe enough? Do you see the focus all that is did I do what I should do? Did I do enough? No, you didn't do enough. No, your words were not perfect. No, there's no, fa- uh, no, no uh, uh, some kind of magic prayer. Where's your faith placed? And that's always where I'd go back with her. I said, who are you trusting? I said, are you trusting yourself? No, I can't trust myself. Who do you trust? And that fast, I mean, if that had clicked, it had been more impressive. That fast... She would say to me, well, I trust in Jesus Christ. He's the one who died for me. I said, that's the point. Bless her heart. She said, does that mean I'm saved? I said, look at me. Do I look like a priest? No, I don't tell you're saved or not. I'm guiding you to the Scripture. You've got to know and you have to have the assurance of the Lord in that. I'm your pastor, not your mediator. Big difference. Big difference. I'm called to one and totally unqualified for the other. And so, we're born, again, not of corruptible seed. Thank God. Not of man's religion. Not of philosophy or ideology. Not of an orthodox uh, creed that we have recited and learned. Not of teachings of a catechism which we put into our heart. But our faith has been in Jesus Christ that what He did was necessary for us and what He did is sufficient for us. And we, we do that. Of birth. Now that's yours. You're a child of God. You've been born again. If not, you're lost. And so, you need to know this. And so, of birth and marriage. And we think about that. And I think about what that means. You know what that means? It means I have a heavenly Father. And I'm partaker of the divine nature through grace. I have His, I have His, His very blood was shed for me. I've been born into His family. I can't be unborn from his family. It's not fun as a parent when you have to take certain steps or certain stands because of wrong choices that a child makes. But at no time should their their knowing that you, you are their father or their mother, that should never be in question. In other words, sonship is non-negotiable. It's established at birth. 
amazing thing. I'm glad that I know I'm saved by, by God's grace. Um, it's, it's a certain thing. I'd be able to rejoice in it. Incorruptible seed. Incorruptible seed. I just was reading through 1 John again, doing study through there in the last week, and, and I, I was in there and I was reading again, that which is born of God doth not sin. He that which is born of God doth not sin. And that is that those type of verses have just theologically have driven some people crazy and they they don't seem to understand that the me that was born of God doth not sin. That's the old me that sins. The new me is clean in Christ. <laughs> Trouble is, sometimes I spend more time feeding the old me than the new me. And the new me loses the battle just by, just by uh, fatigue, you know? Starving him and, you know, I'm feeding the bully and not feeding the good guy. That makes a lot of sense. But I'm glad to be born again. You ought to be glad too. If you are, you ought to never get over that. Say, oh, that's just basic. No, that's everything. That really is everything. Everything that is right doctrine touches on that somewhere. Everything that's proper belief and practice goes back to that as a foundation. And thank God for that relationship. I'm glad for it. I really am. And then this thing of marriage, it's interesting. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. And we often hear this or read this with our mind towards the human relationship of marriage and that's completely correct. I mean, that's a, an obvious, maybe the obvious um, giving an application of this. But something the Scripture itself will, will show you here, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, something the Scripture itself will show you here is that this is also talking about Christ and His church. Christ, of course, being the groom, his church, those who are actually saved people, being the bride. And I want us to look at these verses, and I'm going to first read through the verses without really any comment unless it's clarification of a word that I think I might need to. But I want you to look at it understanding it's talking about human relationship. But understanding that the Bible itself says this is talking about the relationship between God and His people. With Christ being the groom and us being the bride. The church, God's church, is always referred to as female. She's the elect lady. It's always a female term. Isn't that strange, fellas? We have a lot of men in our, our church. We really do, proportionately. But as a as a as a body together, God refers to us as His bride. And uh, it's important to understand, and there's a lot of things I could touch on with that. If you're ever in leading and helping to, helping to minister to a church, that's important to know. But let's look together at the Scripture in verse 21, where it begins with what we're supposed to do as Christians in general towards each other. Then it goes into the specifics of the husband and the wife. When you're reading this, I want you to be thinking beyond just what you're seeing as far as husband and wife and be thinking about the fact that the Bible says that this is talking about Christ and His church also. So think about yourself as a believer. Jesus Christ is our Savior. 
in this relationship that God talks about here with this. Verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. There's certainly a lot in there, isn't it? And a lot, a lot we, can, we can glean from. Isn't it amazing, verse 30 though? It says... We are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Remember after Eve was formed from the rib of Adam, He said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's the same language. That, that picture is shown with that. And, uh, and that same closeness is supposed to be there. We are married! Did you know you're all married people? You're married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he is, he's our bridegroom. He's the one who, uh, he's the one who loves us. Marriage is based on proposal and acceptance. Did you know that? If I had noticed my wife when we were in high school, and she was very pretty, if I'd noticed her and she caught my attention, and I came zipping up one day at that time, I had an old Plymouth Fury and uh, no tread on the tires. It was the old Plymouth Green. Had a 383 engine, which explained no tread on the tires. If I'd come up in that incredible chick magnet of a car, <laughs> and I had I had grabbed my grabbed uh, the girl that I saw, threw her over my shoulder, tossed her into my Plymouth Fury, and drove away with her, uh, that that would not have been. A, been a good thing. <laughs> I'd lost both eyeballs right away on that one. But that's not that's not the way it went. We had known each other quite a while before we got married, and she finished college and we got married. But I didn't say we've known each other a long time. We've we know that we love each other, and our families are in, are in approval of each other, and are, are the people that we count as our spiritual. Uh, helpers and leaders in our life uh, have indicated that they see a blessing in this. And 
So I didn't come up and say, well, obviously you're going to marry me, so let's, let's get on with it here. It didn't work. Um, I proposed. She accepted. And uh, that's, that, that, that's a good picture. It's a picture of what Christ did. He proposed through the Gospel. He proposed through the Word of God. Come unto Me. He proposed. You come and believe on Me, I'll take your sin and I'll give you My righteousness. His proposal was a tremendous proposal. I must admit to you, I didn't have much to offer Mrs. Manning. Except me. She was silly enough to think that was enough. Thank God I got her when she was young and gullible. But I didn't have anything to offer. I owned no property. I uh, was living in a dorm when I engaged her. Driving between Holland, Michigan and Northwest Indiana and back to Ohio, I called up the triangular trade route, earning money, paying off a school bill, paying for my next semester and buying her engagement ring. I had a uh, 198, what was it? What year was the thing? 1977 Chevy Nova. I had that. It ran most of the time. Didn't have anything to offer. Except my word that I would love her. I would care for her. Her dad, James Imhoff, had 28 acres that had been paid off for a long time. He'd taken care of her all his life. She, she worked as a teenager and such, but he, he was stable, provided, good man. My father-in-law was a good man. And I said to her, I want you to leave there and I'll take care of you. <laughs> Thank God, again, that they're gullible when they're young. When Christ came to us, He had a whole lot more to offer us. When I told her I would take care of her, I meant it with all my heart and it's what I designed to do and God's given me the privilege these 34 years hers, my wife to take care of her and be able to care for her. But I could never promise, I can promise the intent that I had, but I could not promise. I had no assurance that I would not have an accident, that something would happen to me, injury, a stroke, anything, and maybe she would have had to take care of me. That's happened before by people who were not lacking in diligence by people who were not lacking in their want to, but they simply could not do what they wanted to do through no fault of their own. But can I tell you when Christ proposed and He said, you put your trust in Me and I will never leave you nor forsake you, He can always fulfill His promise. It's not a, I think this will work out. It's not a, maybe this will be, be good. We have the assurance of God who always can keep His Word. And He proposed. When He proposed, if you're saved, you accepted at some point, you accepted that proposal. You became His bride. You became the object of His love. You became the, the object of the tender part of His heart. 
I'm privileged to know quite a number of people. I get to serve this church. There's people I love. But nobody's in that same category with my wife. Nobody. So preacher, the church ought to be first. Never. Never has been. Never will be. First of all, God's first. And then that lady who calls me husband, she comes after that. The never. Nobody. Love my boys dearly, but my wife. And uh, we used to have a kind of fun thing we'd do. I'd get home and we'd go to hug my wife, and she'd go hug me. She'd always hug me when I come in. And the boys were little, they'd try to get between us or get to me first. And she'd play a little game. Oh, he's mine. He's mine. And they'd, they'd fuss over him. While they were doing that, I'd pet the dog. Because <laughs> I'm real romantical like that. But can I tell you, we became the object of Christ's particular care and attention. I love the little part here we read. It says, nevertheless, every one of you in particular. In particular. Individually. When we sing that song that's kind of considered a child song sometimes, Jesus loves me. It's not narcissistic to believe that. It's not self-centered to believe that. Jesus loves me. I'm glad He loves the whole world, but He also loves me. That's pretty neat. I like it. And we've become the object of His love. I saw several things in here and I'm going to go through all of it, but just some, some neat thoughts that will be a blessing to you. It's based on the proposal and acceptance. Look at verses 22 and verse 22 and 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And it's a sad thing that the good Bible word submit has been so maligned in our, our, uh, uh, our society and sometimes so misused by people in the name of religion that uh, sometimes there's almost a recoiling to what is a very good word, voluntarily giving yourself for the best and the benefit of someone else, and the motive of it being love. That's a tremendous thing. In verse 22, or, or uh, 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own, own husbands as unto the Lord. In verse 24, therefore is the church is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And I, I see there's a willing submission of the bride. In fact, the direct... Comparisons given in verse 24 as the bride of Christ, as, as, as belonging to Jesus, as being the one that He loves, we ought to have a willing submission. <laughs> when we find what God wants and we see it from the Word of God, we ought to be willing to say, that's what I want. I want, I, I want to want what God wants. And do what's best for him. Submitting ourselves to the Lord. Voluntarily doing it. Saying, God, I'm looking for opportunity to. It's our own presumptuous will that often causes us trouble with God. And, and uh, it's so much sweeter situation. I, uh, I'm grateful uh, for things my wife does. and She does taking care of me. I appreciate it. I find I appreciate it more and more the longer the Lord allows us to be together. Why? Because she doesn't have to. Say, yeah, that's her job as a wife. Okay, Tarzan, you need help. 
I would agree with you doctrinally. Yes, she is supposed to. She's supposed to be a keeper of the home. Her primary care is supposed to be of, of me, not of a career. Doesn't mean she can't work. It means that that career orientation, where if there's time you get to the family, is completely unscriptural for a woman. That's real popular today, but it's still as true as it's ever been. I, I believe all that. But if in my heart, if in my heart there's anything towards her that says, well, she just ought to do that, she know how lucky she is to have a husband who cares about her, if that's the way I think, and I hope God has mercy because I certainly would deserve judgment. Can I say to you that we ought to consider it a privilege to do something for the Lord? Thankful that we can love Him. Do you know what you have that the world can't give God? You know God owns everything, don't you? I mean, you get that, right? He, he owns everything. He owns all the resources. He, this is His, the world's like a footstool to Him. We've got that, right? <laughs> The what, what do we have that God wants? You say, well, He wants us. What does He want? He wants One thing He wants that you can give Him as a believer is worship. Worshiping God and thanking Him and, 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 and recognizing Him for who He is. I believe, because scripturally I see the example that Jesus gave over and over again, I believe it's a, the Lord loves seeing his people that before they take a meal, before they eat something, they bow their head. They take a moment like Christ did when He would eat and thank God that they had something to eat. Didn't just take it for granted. Didn't just dive into it. Uh, my dog, when I feed my dog, he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't say grace. He just, he just jumps right in. <laughs> I think he's happy based on what his tail's doing, but he... Let's not be like the brute beast. And uh, we ought to want to do things for the Lord and, and honor Him and, and, and love on Him and share things with Him. Then there's a recognition, a recognition excuse me, of the headship of Christ. I ran those two words together. There's a recognition of the headship of Christ. Verse 23, look at that if you will. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. So there's a recognition of this headship of Christ. Verse 33 talks about also and uh, this recognizing that, that Christ is in charge. Um, I, I said to somebody I met with earlier in the week, I told him, I said, you know, I said, I believe in something that's referred to as soul liberty, that you have a relationship with God. And as a pastor, I try to help you, I try to teach you, I try to instruct you and go the right way. And uh, by the way, that's why it's such a distasteful thing. People make a little sideways, snarky comments when the pastor's speaking about something. That's, a, that's very distasteful. It's trying to help people. And... When I told him, I said, I'm, I'm not Lord over your faith. That's you and God. And I'll teach you, I'll instruct you if the situation required it. I may even reprove or rebuke because I'm supposed to. But it's you have a relationship with God. His headship. 
not just in the church body corporately, that we would, want, we would want to do things here in the way that the Lord wants them done. But you individually, you must follow the Lord. I, I have neither the right nor the, nor the desire to make someone's decisions for them. The Lord, you've got to know how the Lord's working in your life. That's recognizing the headship of Christ. Several other things. Talk about the affectionate love on behalf of the groom. I love that. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. And um, the affectionate love on behalf of the groom, that affection, uh, just uh, that, that thing of uh, being inseparable uh, and wanting to spend time. And um, selfless towards the bride, He gave Himself. Uh, it shows that. Him giving Himself in verse 25, He was selfless. And uh, that's the way it ought to be. Their, their, they, their need is... Something we should enjoy getting. You know, it, it's amazing. Christ, Christ, Christ didn't need the cross. He didn't need the resurrection. He didn't need to go through what He went through for Himself. He had no sins He had to pay for. He did that for us. Selfless. He gave Himself and gives Himself. What a wonderful Savior we have. A desire to be with. In verse 27, I like that. That He might present it to Himself, a glorious church. In other words, He wants us to be with Him. Isn't that what Jesus said? If I go, I will prepare a place and I will come again and receive you. You know what the next two words are? Unto Myself. What reason? What does He give as His motive? That where I am, there you may be also. You understand that? The Creator God wants us to be with Him. Do you remember that's why man was created? That's why God put him in the garden and he fellowshiped with him and he walked with, with Adam and Eve and he talked to them and he, and he fellowshiped with them. Do you, do you remember how he went searching? When Adam had sinned and that great break and that great transgression came and can you hear the longing of God as he was looking for him? And how quickly God provided a way for that relationship to be restored. And He still provides that. Why? He wants us to be with Him. It's that simple. <laughs> Hopefully somebody wouldn't marry somebody because they want to get away from them. That would be dumb. The idea is to spend time with them. There's a desire to be with Him. Then look in verse 29. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And here it's comparing that again. The, 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 the love and the gracious love of the Lord towards us as His church is a nourishing love. You know what that is, don't you? It makes you healthy. In other words, that's good food. That's something that helps you grow. It's nutritionally sound. It's nourishing. It's good stuff. It's nourishing love and it's, a, it's also a cherishing love. It is, it is very kind and takes care of what we need. And then verse 31, look at that one and I drew a little attention to it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and, they, and shall be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. I put this down, the two are as one. And by the way, lest you think uh, there's an overstatement of that, think about the passage in Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, I want the two of us to be as one. 
want to go the same direction, want to be going. We ought not be pulling different different direction than our head. That's a problem, isn't it? We ought not to be pulling a different direction than our bridegroom. No. Uh, we, we, we want to go the same direction. We want to find out what the Lord wants. We want to be pleasing unto Him. Now let me say finally to you tonight, there's no question of it. Someone were to come up to me and, and say, well, as a matter of fact, uh, the question arose when I went to a funeral over in Gratis, Ohio last year. My friend Mike Thompson I grew up with, his mother passed away and I went over for the funeral. I had no part of the funeral, but I just went over. And uh, their home was the second home to me as I was growing up. And when I got there, there were a couple other fellows we knew from high school that were there. A man named Aaron and a man named Darren were there. And I had not seen those fellows in a lot of years. A lot of years. And uh, Aaron and Darren I had not talked to. Micah had, and, and we, we uh, kept in some contact and such. But they both asked the same question. They said, are you and LaVon still together? One well, didn't know we got married, but I hadn't seen him since high school. Are you still together? Are you still married? I said, yeah. I said, we've been married. I had 34 years, coming up on 34 years. They're like, that's amazing. Now, look. When they asked me that, are, are you all married? Still married? One day we got married, but I wonder if we still were. And they said, are you still married? I, I said, I didn't say, well, I think so. We're trying to be. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm hoping so. You said, yeah, what are you talking about? That's all silly. But isn't that exactly how people answer about their salvation? Is Jesus your Savior? I hope so. Maybe. I'm trying to. You, can I give it to you in strict theological terms? You is or you ain't. There's not any middle ground. I'm very confident I was born. There's no record of anybody in the Manning, Haney, Withrow, or Morris, my four lines of ancestry, there's not one record of any hatchlings. So I know I was born. There's a record. I've seen it. I had two little feet. Um, Miami Valley Hospital, Dayton, Ohio. It's born. Why are we so uncertain in our language at times? Why are people so uncertain in their language about their relationship with Jesus Christ? If you've been around a religious system that somehow has taught you that it's somewhat presumptuous to say that you know you're saved, then you've also been around a religious system that's attached works to salvation. Because every religious system that teaches it's somewhat presumptuous to say categorically, I know that I'm saved, everyone in Brother Keith has somehow attached works with their salvation. That's why they say you can't say it. They think you have part of it. That you did something to earn it. But no! If I know what Christ did, if I have the evidence of the Scripture, and if I believe Him, not a plan, but Him, then I can say, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. So don't be afraid of being confident in Christ. 
It's not presumptuous. It's not arrogant. In fact, if you're confident in Christ, it just makes you grateful because you do realize that it was His mercy. And then it gives you strength because you realize you don't have to go through this life by yourself. And the one that loved you enough to come from heaven to earth to secure your salvation loves you enough to keep that salvation secure. What a great Savior we have. It's birth. It's marriage. It's relationship. It's life. And it's forever. Regardless of whatever else happens in this crazy world, if we belong to Christ, then we belong to Him forever. Thank God for it. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank You for these truths. Thank You for Your steadfastness. I'm glad that You've never, ever for a moment forgotten us or neglected us. There have been times we haven't been able to see You. Times we've really felt out of touch. But Lord, You've always been there. And in our better understanding, our better times, we know that. Lord, help us to be people who yield to You, who serve You with our lives. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. There's something you want to bring before the Lord. Maybe now would be a good time to start thanking Him, praising Him, worshiping Him for some of these things that He's done in your life. A song invitation this evening as she begins. You, you come and bring what you need to before the Lord. And if tonight as I've spoken to saved people, you realize you are not in that number, you are not a saved person, then why not now? Why would you not receive Christ? What virtue is there in waiting? He's trustworthy. He will do what He said. Look unto Him and be saved. Yet all ye ends of the earth. What that song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus.